You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. back. I don't know if it's 10.30 or if it's 6.30. I just don't know. Um, I'm still a little jet lagged. We got back Thursday night and uh, first thing we did when we got uh, our baggage and everything and Abby picked us up is we headed straight to Rose's for some fajitas. Um, I just, my, I was, you know, I was having a deficiency of salsa in my system and uh, had to get that taken care of. But uh, I want to thank Jared, Pastor Jared. Uh, did you guys enjoy Jared last week? Yeah. Man, he's a man of God, isn't he? I love him. I've known, that, I've known him since he was a kid. Uh, I hired him out of college, and he was an intern for me in youth ministry. His wife was in our student ministry. We've known them, seen them grow up, and I'm excited for him to be planting a church. And, and when he called and said, Matt, this is what God's put on my heart. Can we walk with you? I said, come on, brother. And so you'll see him around for the next several months. Uh, they're gonna be planting in Austin. And let me just say this. I don't want any of y'all to leave, but if you're planning to move to Austin, let me get you connected with him because you will be a part of a, a dynamic, healthy church plant, and you are going to be amazed at what God does. So if you're moving to Austin, come come see me after service, and let's get you connected with him. Um, Africa was incredible. We're going to wait till the rest of the team gets back because they're probably at the airport right now getting ready to head back from Africa, and uh, they got to go to church today, and, and uh, they've already, they're eight hours ahead, so they're already, they've already know what happens at the end of the church service. That's awesome, isn't it? Um, but they are going to be heading back. They'll be back tomorrow night, so pray for them. Uh, pray for their rest. Pray for when they return that everything settles back in nicely, and then we'll be doing a big Africa update. I'm not going to bore you with all my missionary pictures, but there's going to be some scrolling behind me. Um, just a, some highlights uh, is is we support Creek. We support a church plant in in uh, Kigali, Rwanda, and it is in the slum. It's called Gatenga. The name of the church is Loveback Church, and we've been supporting them. And we got to celebrate their two year anniversary last Sunday, and I got to preach. It was fun. Um, I did wear a suit, but what was cool was the translator that I had. Awesome guy. Awesome guy. When we got up to preach, he took off his jacket. And I looked at him, I was like, well, if he goes, I go. I took off my jacket. And then he'd get excited, I'd get excited, he'd get, I mean, so we were just like this the whole time. It was an awesome Sunday. 24 people gave their life to Christ. And so it was, a, it was just a really cool thing to be a part of. And, um, uh, and I can't, I don't take credit for that because I gave, a, I gave a powerful altar call. Nobody moved. And the interpreter goes, let me explain it in, in Kenya Rwandan better. So he's like, just going at it, man. And all of a sudden, people start coming, and we got to lay hands on 24 people to receive salvation. And then Sunday night, we baptized 27 people. I got to be in that tank. It was awesome, and uh, be a part of that. I got to I got to welcome brothers and sisters to the family that I hadn't met yet. It's awesome. And uh, you'll see some of my twins in these pictures. It's it's very cool. Um, we got to meet all of our our. Um, sponsored kids and had an incredible time. So you'll hear some great stories about all of that. I just want to encourage you to go. Go to Africa. Go on a mission trip. You may not be called to Africa, but go on a mission trip. We've got multiple trips happening in uh, this year and every year we run those. It is life-changing. And uh, we're actually talking about how to set up some more, more trips because I know February is not a convenient time for a lot of people. And so we're trying to figure out how to get more trips um, to get you experiencing this. It is life-changing. Uh, let's get into this. Uh, Luke chapter 13. We've been in a series called Storyline. We're teaching through the uh, parables of Jesus, where Jesus will use a story to really drive a spiritual truth home. And if you don't have a Bible, we keep some on the back uh, cabinets for you. And if you don't own one, we want you to have that. That's a, 
a gift for you. And, and what's interesting about the parables, most of the parables that, that we encounter with Christ is, is, is a result of a question. And the, the question would be asked of Jesus and not everybody who asks a question of Jesus or questions Jesus has the, a, a right motive. And, and what Jesus has the ability to do because he can perceive the heart and he knows our heart, he will answer the question that needs to be answered. And so this is, this is no different. And, and in chapter 13, uh, it says that there were some present at that very time who told him, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So to set up the scenario in this is that uh, uh, a group of people come to Jesus and say, do you know about this? And, and this incident, scholars believe that this was a, an incident where Pilate had come into the temple and Pilate was the governor of Rome. The nation of Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. Pilate had come into the temple, the Jewish temple, and had taken money from the treasury to fund an aqueduct project. And the, the Jewish people, the people of the temple, uh, were, were protesting this move. And so what Pilate did is he had his guards dress in civilian clothes. They go into the temple and they killed people in the temple. And when they say that their blood was mingled with the blood of sacrifice, what's happened here is in the temple, in the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system. Um, the Bible teaches us that there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So there would be an altar in place at the temple where sacrifices were made for atonement and for the, for the forgiveness of sins. And when these Jews were slaughtered in the temple, their blood mixed with the blood of that sacrifice, which would be an atrocity. And so they're saying, Jesus, we're making you aware of this. Did you know this was going on? We do the same thing. We come to Jesus and go, do you see what's going on around me? Do you see the suffering in the world? We don't have to look far for tragedy. We don't have to watch the news very long to see something about a disaster or tragedy or something that is a devastating situation. Many of you have walked through devastation in your own family. I've walked with you through the loss of, of loved ones. I've walked with people in our church family with, through the loss of children. And, and, and we've been through a lot of tragedies together. And we, we, we get a tendency to go, okay, God, um, do you know what's going on? Do you see what's happening here? And if we're gonna get honest with this, God would answer, yes, I see it. And it breaks my heart. And we know that God tells us in his word that he is near the brokenhearted. So there's a thing of saying, Jesus, do you know what happened where, where, where Jesus is going to answer the true motive of their question instead of just going, yes, I'm aware of what happened. See, there's a belief in this that, that, that this happened as a judgment against the sins of those in the temple. So they make Jesus aware of this. And, and Jesus said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? So, so you're drawing a connection because this tragedy happened that it is a result of God's judgment on them as sinners. We gotta be very careful in situations like this. Not every tragedy, not every disaster is the result of God judging somebody's sin and killing them because of their sin. We can't, it's dangerous territory when we get into playing God. I had a woman that I was speaking with who had lost someone very close to her and she was told by someone that they lost their loved one because God was judging their sin. I wish I could truly apologize for that person. All I could do is look on behalf of a 
a pastor and someone who's following Jesus, I'm sorry that that was said to you. It's a dangerous place for us to step in and play God and say the reason this happened is God's judging your sin. Here's what Jesus said. No, I tell you, but unless you repent. He said, no, it's not a result of the judgment, but I tell you, unless you all likewise repent, you will perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're asking me about this tragedy. They were people that, that came to the house of worship, that came to the temple and were killed. We just experienced this tragedy last year. And so is this, Jesus, is this a result of their sin? Jesus said, no. And you can't draw those connections. What about the people? And Jesus brings them aware of another tragedy. What about the 18 people who showed up to work and were working on the tower? The tower collapses and they're killed. Do you think that's a result of judgment? Do you think that they were a worse sinner than you? And what Jesus is doing is he's setting in some level playing ground here. He's setting some level footing for everybody he's talking to. He says, no, you, likewise, unless you repent, you will also perish. Perish doesn't mean death in, in, in this context. It means be destroyed. What we've got to understand is Jesus is bringing this all in because it's, it, it's, it's not our place to play God to say, the reason this happened is God's casting his judgment upon you. What he's saying is, we, with the question is, God, not why did these people die, but what we should really be asking, God, why am I still alive? What's, there's a purpose you have for me, and let me live that purpose. Because what Jesus is setting here is there's a level playing ground that we have something in common. Every human on the planet has a commonality in this, that we will all face death and we all have a need for forgiveness. The mortality rate for humanity is 100%. People are dying that have never died before. And we're not getting out of this alive. I've heard people say the two absolutes in life are death and taxes. Well, there also is our need for forgiveness. Jesus lays it out very clearly. Hebrews 9, 27 tells us that man is appointed once to die, and then there's a judgment. Let's get honest here for a minute. Every one of us are going to face death. We're gonna, we're gonna cross that threshold of death, and we will face God. And I'm gonna view death just like the apostle Paul does. It's an enemy. I'm gonna fight it to my last breath. I'm gonna go to the doctor. If they see, see a specialist, I'm gonna see a specialist. I'm gonna fight death with everything I got. But I have no way of avoiding it. The only way out of it is if Jesus comes back soon. I pray that he comes back sooner. But we're all gonna face this threshold of death and then there's a judgment. And see, see a lot of us think that that. Um, we, we want to believe in God and we want to believe in heaven, but we don't really want to acknowledge that there is a hell. And this is, this is tough teaching because we always want the upside. And what Jesus is saying is unless you repent, you will perish, you will be destroyed. What happens when we pass through this, this threshold of death is we enter into the presence of God. And it's not, let me clean up some, some messes here. It's not when we step in that we're gonna justify ourselves before God. We don't have an ability to justify ourselves. We're not gonna step in and God's gonna go, Where did your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? Are you a good person? It's not about how good you think you are. 
It's about being covered by the blood of Christ when you step into that presence of God. And when we stand in the presence of God, he's going to recognize us as his righteousness. I have the ability to recognize my kids from even across the room. I can recognize my kids' voices from across the room. If I can do that, then God, our Father, who is much greater and better than I, when I step into his presence, he's going to say, welcome home, son. It's good to see you, my daughter. But for those who are not covered by the blood of Christ, we have to understand, he says, there will be a perishing that happens. There is a hell. And people who say that, that there is no hell, I'm amazed at how many Christians believe there's no hell. And they, they create some false sense of reality that the only hell we'll ever experience is here on earth. To that, I've got to chuckle. Because we read in the book of Revelation, in this rapture, that God removes his restraint from the earth. Yeah, there's a lot of hell we face on earth. But still, the power of the Holy Spirit is restraining it. And when God withdraws that restraint, when he takes his church home, we ain't seen nothing yet. Praise God, we have the restraint of the Holy Spirit. There will be a place. Hell is a place void of the restraint of God, void of the grace, the light, the, the, the presence of God. And when we, you know, when we say that, that someone without Christ will spend an eternity in hell, here's the thing, that eternity isn't an eternity because there will be a time, God says in Revelation, that I will blot them from my memory. I will destroy them and be remembered no more. They will be destroyed. Jesus saying, unless you repent, you will be destroyed. I thought about wearing a sandwich sign out here today that says, repent, the end is near. We will all face death. We all face a need for forgiveness. When, when the writer of Hebrews says that it's appointed once for man to die and then a coming judgment, God also provided a way out of that. Chapter 9, verse 28 tells us that but Christ has offered this sacrifice. He's been offered once to bear the sins of many. That's an interesting thing because why didn't he say the sins of all? Because all need forgiveness. But the reality, the sad reality, is not all will reach out in repentance to receive that grace. That beautiful gift of God, that salvation, that forgiveness that comes through repentance. Not everyone will reach out and receive that. We all need it. And we, understand this, we want to understand this idea of repentance a little more because what, what does that really mean? What, is that, what does that do in my life? You know, we're, we're, we're taught in Scripture that there's no salvation without repentance. There's no salvation without Jesus. There's no other name, Acts 4.12 tells us, no other name under heaven by which men can be saved than the name of Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no way we stand righteous before God without Jesus. And, and this idea where he says that you must repent, he makes it very personal, and he's getting into their personal space. This, this teaching is a little difficult because this gets into our personal space. Because we've got, to, we've got to really recognize some things going on in our life. We've got to really recognize where we are. And this need for repentance. Repentance, the Greek word for it is metanoeo. 
It means this, to change one's mind, to feel sorrow or remorse. And, and this repentance as, as defined from, from the New Bible Dictionary says this, it's, it's, repentance means acknowledging that no one has a claim upon God. I cannot have any claim to God. I have no claim to righteousness without repentance. And it says, and, and submitting oneself without excuse or attempting justification to God's mercy. Remember a couple weeks ago when the lawyer approached Jesus and asked the question, so who is my neighbor? The scripture tells us that he was attempting to justify himself. You and I cannot justify ourselves. We have no means to justify ourselves. It's that sacrifice through Jesus who gave his life on a cross and spilled his blood that brings that justification. What repentance means is I recognize my need for grace, my need for a savior, and I throw myself wholeheartedly on the mercy and grace of God. There's a, this, this repentance, it's, a, it, it's a, a sorrow that draws people closer to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says it beautifully that there's a godly grief that produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Worldly grief produces death. What, is, what does that mean, that, that this repentance leads me to a point without regret? See, we can regret our sin. We can regret our circumstance. We can regret our, our separation from God, but it can also lead us farther away from God unless we throw ourselves on the mercy of God. And repentance means I'm drawing in. This, this understanding, this realization leads to a sorrow and a grief that leads me to repent of my sin, repent and, and come before Jesus and say, I need your grace. And then it's confessing our sin. Confession simply means agreement. God, I'm agreeing with you that I have sin in my life. I'm agreeing that there's a separation. I'm agreeing that I need your forgiveness. And then the next step of repentance it's confession and forsaking our sin. It's a directional shift in our life. It's a directional shift in our appetite and we seek something else. That we need this repentance. An incredibly high percentage of men in our culture and even a growing percentage of women in our culture are addicted to pornography. And I counsel and I talk and I, I pray with you and I hurt with you and, and, and I hear that I, I just don't know why I keep going into this, but I feel so much grief and sorrow from going into this, but I don't know why I keep going back to the well. It's John 4 over and over. You drink from this and you will continue to thirst. This will not satisfy you. When we come to Jesus in repentance, it's a directional shift to a new well, to living water that we drink and we're filled, with, we're filled with that righteousness. We hunger for that righteousness and we're not going to these old wells again. I'm changing direction. The well of living water for Christ is exactly opposite from the wells of the world that tell me they're gonna satisfy me. That's repentance. And if you're, if you're stuck in that addiction, we'll get you help. We'll walk with you. We'll help you set that course correction no matter what you're struggling with. Because Christ's followers are struggling with things. And we need the freedom ministry. We need to be free from all of these things. 
because we've, we've cheapened the definition of repentance to simply mean God forgives me when I mess up and I will continue to do it again and I will continue to go to grace and we become abusers of grace. Don't confuse this that when we come to Jesus in repentance, we will have perfection in our life. It's maturity that he's building in us. I stop going to the things that I know are not gonna satisfy me. And I start going to the well that I know produces living water. Too many Christians believe that they can cage up a demon and pull it out. And when they start feeling the grief and sorrow of their sin, they try to put it back in the cage. Eventually that demon's gonna get you. It's a dangerous game. Jesus is making it very personal to us. Unless we turn, unless we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the finisher of our faith, we're not gonna see these changes in our life. We're gonna continue to swirl around the same wells. Yes, we're gonna struggle with our sin, but stop making excuses for it. Jesus didn't give us an excuse in our sin, he gave us a way out of it. And then he tells them this parable. He says, he says, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. What, what Jesus is teaching us is that, that repentance should lead to a fruit in our life, that, that our life should produce fruit that's a result of repentance. That there, there should be something different my life is producing as a result of me switching directions. That, that transformation that happens, that renewing of my mind, that, that turning my life and my sin over to Jesus, asking for his grace and mercy, submitting myself on his grace as Lord and Savior, that transformation happens. The power of the Holy Spirit moves in and my life produces something different. When I'm in the de system of death, then my life produces death. And death is all around us. Death is a result of the fall. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they took the bite of that apple, their eyes were open to death. Death came in. That's the system. That sin produced death. You and I, by the grace of God and the blood that was spilled on Calvary, have a way out of that system into a system of life, and that should produce life. And Jesus is saying, your life should produce something. Luke chapter 3, verse 8, and the New Living Translation says, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. The English Standard Version says, bear fruit in accordance with repentance. Our life should produce something so people see the goodness of God in our life. And, and every one of us, God has every right to cut us down because we can't produce righteousness on our own. And Jesus steps in and says, hang on a second. See, this, this cutting down of the tree is an indictment to the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, a tree symbolized spiritual health and the vitality of the tree symbolized the, the vitality of spiritual health. 
and understand something about this. And, and Leviticus 19 gives us some instructions about the trees in the garden. For the first three years, all of the fruit is untouched. You are not to touch the fruit for the first three years of that tree's life. The fourth year, all the fruit is given to God as an offering. The fifth year, game on, baby. Eat all you want. So it's believed that this tree would have been about seven years old because the, the owner of the garden says, I have come for three years looking for fruit. The implication is I've given the first three years off. I gave God his year and now I'm receiving nothing. This is an indictment on the nation of Israel that Jesus is saying, I've been, I've been ministering to you for three years. The Messiah has been here for three years and you're failing to acknowledge me as the Messiah. You're failing to bear fruit according to the kingdom. You're taking up space in the garden. And a question that we've got to wrestle with is, are we taking up space in the garden or are we producing fruit for the glory of God? And we can't presume on his, his mercy to be unending because there will be a day that we face death and he's like, yeah, you got nothing to show for this. I mean, this vine dresser is saying, look, leave it alone a year, give it some time and let me, let me, let me break the ground around it. That's a difficult thing. And the manure. Now, those of you who know me, no, I cannot preach this passage and just step over the manure. Stop blaming the manure in your life. Well, I'm not doing anything for God because, man, if you saw the manure that I deal with at work, if you saw the manure that my boss keeps shoveling on me every Monday morning, I wanna be a light to my family and I wanna reach out to my family, but you don't understand the manure that my family is. Stop blaming the manure. You're sitting in it. Let it become the fuel, the fertilizer that produces healthy fruit in your life. Look, we all, we're all gonna face death. We're all gonna need forgiveness and we all got manure in our life. Question is, what do we do with it? Stop letting that be the excuse. Let it become the fuel. I know you've been through difficult things. I know you've had tragedy in your life. I know there are times that, that you, you wonder, God, why are you doing this to me? And think of Job, man. Job's tragedy was not a result of God's judgment in his life. He got so bad, his wife said, Job, you need to curse God and die. His friends told him, you're in this because God's judging you. And Job said, I want, I want to question God careful. Go back and read Job 38 through 42. Because Job said, God said to Job, all right, Job, you want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> Brace yourself as a man, because I'm going to speak to you. Job, were you there when I told the mountains how high they were going to be? Were you there when I set the, the boundaries of the sea? Have you seen my storehouses of lightning? Have you seen the storehouses I have of snow? Job, were you there when I did all this, when I spoke everything to existence? You asked me where I am in your manure, I've been right there. Job, do you realize that, that I see every goat that gives birth in the woods? God, do you, Job, do you see that I, I notice the ostrich even as she takes flight? There's nothing that happens, Job, without me seeing it. And you're asking me where I'm at in this, I'm everywhere. I'm in the middle of your manure with you. 
but I'm giving you the strength and the endurance to get through this because I'm gonna produce something in your life because you've repented to me, you've given your life to me, you've trusted me with it, you gotta trust me with it even when there's manure. Let me bear the fruit in you because people are gonna see you and see the manure on your life and they're gonna start to see what I'm producing in your life and that's gonna give them life, it's gonna give them hope, it's gonna give them peace, it's gonna give them the ability to go one more day. Our life as a Christ follower should produce something. Producing is a kingdom value. Jesus explains a little bit about the kingdom in verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what, to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in, the, hid in the three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus is saying the small things matter. The little things in life count. See, the belief of the nation of Israel was that when the Messiah steps on the scene, he's gonna come in as a reigning king, that he's just gonna wipe out this, the empire of Rome and then establish his throne among his people, and life's gonna be perfect from then on. And Jesus is saying, don't despise humble beginnings. Because that seed that was put in the ground was Jesus Christ himself. He gave his life on a cross. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. He was put in the ground. And out of him comes our ability to have salvation, to have hope, to have freedom, to have life and repentance and grace. He says there's an outward movement. Seed goes in the ground. You're gonna see outward movement from the kingdom. The leaven, internal movement. You put a little bit in, it starts permeating the whole loaf. Now there is a caution here that has to be given because Jesus also is giving a warning about the kingdom. Because leaven is used as evil. Jesus has spoken of as leaven as evil. That there are little things that you can let into the kingdom that can cause big issues. The little things in life count. The statement, don't sweat the small stuff for a life of someone following Jesus is a dangerous statement because it's those little things that start setting direction in our life. We were flying back from Amsterdam. It was like, I don't know how many hours we've been on the plane at this point. Um, and I, I mean, my, I'm just tired. I'm antsy. I'm like, I just went off of this plane. I think at this point we'd been on eight hours and we'd had a nine hour flight before that. And I'm just tired. I'm ready to get home. I'm ready for some salsa. And, and the, the, the thing is, in the, in the seat back in front of me, um, there wasn't a connect card. Um, there was a, um, <laughs> there, <laughs> I looked for it. But um, um, I should have put some on the plane. That'd have been funny. But there's this TV screen. <laughs> What's this? Um, this TV screen. And one of the things that I loved is called the flight tracker because I'd be like four hours and 27 minutes left in this flight. At least I see progress. I'm gonna take a nap. So I take a nap. I wake up, four hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> so but when we were flying into Atlanta, it was the next to last leg and I'm, I, I turn, on, turn on this flight tracker and, and I was watching it and I told her, I was like, they're jacking with me now because we're heading south, Atlanta's here, we're heading south, all of a sudden the plane turns west, it turns north, it turns east, and then it turns south again. Was, are we trying to make a bow here? I mean, what, just, dry, just fly into Atlanta, because people say, well, as the crow flies, I don't see crows doing this. 
just get me to the airport. But on this flight tracker, there's a, a thing you can tap on the screen called the cockpit view. And it's a CGI of what it would look like out the front of the plane. And so you see this, it's kind of like GPS. You see this, this, this flag out there that says Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. I'm like, there it is, baby. And so on the screen, you can see your, you can see your speed in knots. You can see your altitude. And then there's a, a thing in the middle. It's a circle and it has degrees. It's a compass. And so I can see like Atlanta's here and the plane's heading here. Like we ain't gonna get there. I need this plane to turn. And so I start figuring, how many degrees do we need to turn? Because I'm about to tell the, the pilot this. Because I know in the front, they're going, they're just going to, attention uh, all passengers, they're just talking to Matt here. Uh, this is the, from the cockpit. We're just jacking with you because we know you want to get to Atlanta and we're just having a lot of fun. We're going to keep turning this plane all day long. Uh, okay. So I'm figuring out how many degrees to, home, to, to, to that airport, then home. And all of a sudden it starts turning. And you see that compass turn one degree at a time. One degree at a time. See, it's the little things that matter. I've counseled men that have gone through devastation in their marriages. Men that I've, I've counseled with that, that, have, that have gone through incredible betrayals in their marriage didn't wake up one morning and go, you know, today's the day I think I'm gonna have an affair with my wife. See, north is zero degrees, south is 180 degrees. Very rarely do we just wake up one morning and go, I'm gonna go 180. But it's that little degree, one at a time, one at a time. It's little compromises that we begin to justify and say, you know what, it's okay, it's okay. But what happens is where Jesus is calling us directionally through repentance is here, and I start going, oh, I can compromise here. I'll reset my course later. Oh, I'll end up here. I'll end up here. And the enemy is starting to turn you off track. The beauty about repentance is with the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to course correct you. He begins to convict you and say that sin that you're holding on to, that you're unwilling to let go of, that sin that you're making excuses for, of going, this is just the way I am, it's time to let it go. Because you're gonna follow Jesus. He's gonna set your direction. It's time to let go of that sin that easily entangles you and trips you up and continues to trip you up and you continue in this cycle of sorrow and grief and God did not give his son on the cross for us to live lives with Jesus mixed in the sorrow and the grief. He gave his life on the cross so we could be completely free from sorrow and grief and we could be completely free from the shame that comes from our sin and begin to pursue him wholeheartedly. He is the zero on the directional meter that we are to follow, and one degree off changes our entire destination. And Jesus is saying it's time to get serious about the kingdom. It's time to get serious about what we produce. This is a tough teaching because it calls us to some self-awareness and self-check. Begs the question, where am I really with Jesus? How do I really feel about my sin? Do I like keeping my sin and letting Jesus bring some justification or am I ready to just let go of this because it's killing me? This passage started out, Jesus, do you know about a tragedy that happened in the temple? This tragedy in the church. I think the greatest tragedy that could happen in this church this morning is for people to hear the word of the Lord and say, I'm not changing anything about my direction. I'm on cruise control and my course is set. That's the greatest tragedy. Let me pray for us.
Jesus, we love you. We, we uh, thank you for this tough teaching because it brings us into a place to recognize our need for repentance and, and that, that you're calling us out of our sin. You're calling us to a new direction in life. I'm praying for the courage of those in this room this morning that need a complete and radical change in direction. To finally come to that point of repentance, to say, Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I'm asking for your forgiveness in my life. I'm asking you to make me new. I'm asking you, Jesus, to plant me in you in your fertile soil. I'm asking you to make me a Christian. Make me your son or your daughter. I'm asking you, Jesus, to fill me with the Holy Spirit who you promised us to lead me in a new direction in my life. I lay my sin out before you, Jesus. I don't just come to you and say, I'm sorry for this. And I want you to relieve my grief. I'm coming to you saying, this is killing me and I need freedom. Jesus, I'm asking you to work even through the manure that's in our life. Some of us have experienced great tragedy and immense disaster. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at